to Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, the CEO and founder of She Leads Media. For far too long, women have been conditioned to sugarcoat their words, their actions, and the way they show up in the world, and to conform to certain cultural norms and ideals. This is inherently designed to keep those who are outside of the norm from gaining power, prestige, wealth, and influence preventing more women from being recognized and respected as the powerful leaders that we truly are. Join me each week as we dive into raw conversations with remarkable, uncompromising, and inspirational women that will encourage you to strip away your sugar coating and move boldly in the direction of your magnificent dreams. Hi, everybody. This is Adrienne Garland, and welcome to Sugar Coated. I'm so excited today to welcome my guest. Her name is Maria Dismondi, and she is a powerhouse. In our opening conversation, I can tell that already. Mm-hmm. She is the founder of Cardinal Rule Press, an inclusive uh, publishing company that publishes books for kids. And I cannot wait to talk to her all about that, um, especially in light of everything that is happening in our country today. So welcome to Sugar Coated Maria. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I'm right at home in this conversation. When you described, you know, you asked me if I had listened to some of the interviews and I was like, yes. And it just, it felt very much like me to, I try not to sugarcoat things and I feel like people are trying to sugarcoat them for me. So I love these conversations. Well, I love them too. And, you know, I I feel like I could even push myself and these conversations even further to get super real because I I do think that by sugarcoating things, we, you know, put this glaze on topics and then we end up in some of the positions that we're in today. So you said earlier, and I really appreciate it, that, you know, this platform is at least someplace to to start, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a start, right? It could be, maybe this is in the middle somewhere, but this can be a way into conversation that can potentially help us to at least sort through everything that is happening in the United States today. Mm -hmm. And we are coming off of the July 4th celebration holiday that is supposed to be, you know, all about America and how incredible it was, you know, that we founded this this wonderful country. And yet there are so many other things that are hanging over it. Um, and then, you know, the all of the, the shootings and everything else that is happening with Roe v. Wade and the Supreme Court and the divisiveness and everything. It just feels like such a great time to be talking to you. I was reviewing your your work and you know what you do and and the fact that you are creating and publishing these books for kids that are all about humanity right mm-hmm. and and seeing each other's differences um and celebrating those and i just i love the work that you do i'm so inspired by it and i'm curious you know tell me a little bit about you and how you got to be a founder and especially of something that has so much, I, I think it can help shape our, our future so much. So how did, how did you get here, okay. Maria? First of all, <laughs> I, have, um, I have shorts on and I have chills up and down my legs from your intro because we are in 
a very interesting time in our country. And I have three young children of my own. And I started this company. So I will back up. I'll give you the real quick overview. I went to school to be a teacher and I loved my job as a teacher. I worked for just over a decade in the classroom and I had a diverse classroom and I used books to prompt our, we called them morning meetings. And then we had them at the end of the day, but there wasn't a name for it. <laughs> um, but we had these conversations and it was whatever was happening within my, my classroom, within my family, I would call them. And so I would find books to read and then prompt that these open conversations about things that kids were, were on their minds, things I was seeing in the playground, things I was seeing happening with my students. And I noticed that. So I had a lot of Indian American students who their, their parents would invite me to dinner. They would gift me a sari. Their meals were delicious. I was just, I, they welcomed me with open arms, but my students were embarrassed by it. They were embarrassed by their culture. And they were only six and seven years old. And that made me really sad because I feel like a big part of who you are is where you come from. So I wrote a book because I couldn't find any books that were realistic. I could not find books with kids that looked like my students in 2005. And I couldn't find books, a lot of them with actually human characters. Back in 2005, a lot of our books sitting on the shelves were teddy bears and dinosaurs. So I wrote a book called Spaghetti in a Hot Dog Bun. And it talks about having the courage to be who you are. And the book started to sell. I started to speak at schools and I realized I was making more money part-time on this writing thing than I was full-time teaching. So I resigned from teaching and I continued to do the work. I continued to grow this writing business and specifically only write about these hot topics so that a book could be this doorway for families into these conversations. And I started uh, at the same time, Dave and I started our family. So the book business and our family started at the same time. And then I really became passionate as a mother because I saw, well, gosh, these are topics that I want to have these conversations with my own children. And so that's kind of the beginning of it. And then around five or six years ago, I decided to hang up my own writing hat and publish for other people. And so to get other perspectives and to get more authentic story ideas. So, you know, I can write about an Indian American character, but to have an Indian American author mm. write that story is so much more authentic. So that's where I'm at now. And yeah, we don't just publish books. It's kind of the, the stepping stone for us, but we also offer a lot of free programming for schools um, so that they can learn about these topics from the authors. We also have education for parents and, you know, I was very thankful for my education and child development, but as I became a parent and saw my other friends who were in these different degrees, like, you know, my sister-in-law, who's a neurologist coming to me for advice about children, I thought, oh yeah, everyone doesn't, you know, have this background and they haven't spent years studying and reading. And so that's another thing we do is we just try to support parents and families and caregivers um, because it's a really hard place to be right now, but there are things that we can be doing at home to help our children. So that wasn't yeah. very short. I planned for oh, it to be, it's, But it's so beautiful. And I love your uh, story, too, how you sort of, you know, we pick up all of these tools and traits and along the way and how you had 
confidence to, you know, go for something and move into it and then move out of it and then transform it. And it doesn't sound to me like that is over for you at all. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like there's there's more on the horizon. And, you know, I think about the work that you're doing. And I do really, truly believe that children have such a spirit of welcoming, you know, unless, of course, they're brought up in a home where that isn't part of the the uh, morals of that home. But, you know, I feel like there's there's people that are open to learning about cultures and, and doing things differently. And then there are other homes where that is not the case. And it's it's a bit of circumstance. It's a bit of, you know, what you were born into. So how how do you get some of the, the kids that might be resistant? And even the parents, like I love how you said that you're, you're doing education for the parents. There are many parents that I'm sure are super open to this and many parents that are not. So mm-hmm. how do you sort of get the parents that don't want anything to do with this because they somehow feel that by introducing diversity into our country that our country is, you know, going to hell. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good, you know, and it can be overwhelming. You had mentioned fear, I think in our previous conversation before we started recording and I don't know what it is about fear for me. Um, and people will say, well, I just feel so overwhelmed with what's happening. What can I do to make a difference? And I just say it's one day at a time. And it's like every day you wake up, what is one thing you can do? And if you have children in your household, teaching those children and exposing them to what's really outside of your, you know, front door, that's what you can do. Like you are truly influencing the future. And so for the parents who are hesitant for that, what we really try to do is present the facts to them, present the statistics. And, you know, for example, depression, suicide. Um, you know, we had a suicide in our family a couple of years ago. So it's another topic I've really become passionate about and I've teamed up with some experts. And so gathering information from those experts and we hosted a whole viewing of a documentary about suicide for families. So just really, I think, presenting them with the facts because it's great. It's great seeing this little, you know, white woman who wants to make a difference in the world. Yay. And I know some people are like, oh my gosh, be quiet. But the the fact of the matter is our kids are on these phones. Our kids are having too much screen time. They're seeing pornography before they should ever see it appropriately. I mean, there's just so many bad things happening. And so that's what we try to present to the parents. Like, okay, if you don't believe in what we're saying, spending all this time influencing and pouring into your children, we want to tell you why. And we're just going to lay it out for you. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We're going to yep. share the, the, the facts. Like, this is what's happening. On the school bus, six to seven, eight-year-olds are seeing pornography because kids are bringing the phone on the school bus. It is not okay. Um, you no. know, and just saying, like, this is happening. Open your eyes. And with the recent shootings, just looking at mental health and red flags and how they're being ignored. And so that's really how I try to get to those parents is just kind of trying to, to get them to open their eyes and seeing why this is so important. Yeah. And and do, do you find that the majority of the people that are sort of purchasing your, your books, whether you write them or, or, you know, you're publishing other authors and everything, do you feel that the people that are, are purchasing these books 
are the ones that are more willing to have these conversations. Because I'd love to see, you know, people that are sort of against it, how, how you turn, how you sort of open their eyes and, and turn the tide and have them be the ones that are, that are buying the books. Because it's almost like the people that are already have a propensity for this type of a mindset are the ones that obviously you're going to attract. And, and that's amazing, yeah. right? Because they want to learn more. They mm-hmm. want to be open. They, they, they might not, you know, they might not be perfect, but they at least want to learn. And that's such a beautiful thing. But it's the people that close themselves off entirely to your your teachings, your books and everything, those are the people that we really need to sort of bring into this conversation. Yeah, I think my answer is twofold. Number one, you know, we'll have comments on social media that challenge some of the things that we present. And then we'll also get some feedback in our newsletters, in email newsletters. So I know that those people, we do have some of those people in our community and we do have some of those people watching, which is a good thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then why was it twofold, Maria? Um, number, <laughs> why was it twofold? Oh, number two, you have to remember there's so many different platforms that we're trying to reach people on. So we're putting our content on podcasts. So if maybe somebody is out there and they listen to podcasts, but they're not on social media or they don't open up email, we're trying to reach people on a number of social media platforms. And then last but not least, so this is kind of like threefold. <laughs> um, so <laughs> You have to think about educators, and that's really a big target for us versus parents. We target educators more than we target parents. And the reason Mm. is is those educators can reach 25-plus kids with one book versus a parent who can buy that one book and reach two kids, four kids, what have you. So we gift and we give our books away. We read our books for free on YouTube. We We have a lot of free access to our Um, education into our stories, into our content, so that educators can get those messages into their classrooms. So for me, I, I, I try not to think about the parents who are closed off because I think educators can still reach those children. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm actually just reading. I, I don't know if you've h- heard of the book and I, I, I feel terrible that I, I don't know the author's name. Uh, she was she wrote a column in a publication. I should know a little bit more about it, but I'm I'm still. Um, it's okay. I just Don't yeah. I just got back from uh, <laughs> from a long travel and whatever. So anyway, the book is called. Uh, I think it's called Tiny Beautiful Things, and it was a columnist where people wrote in anonymously, and uh, the woman who who wrote <laughs> this is so terrible. The the woman that wrote the book about uh, her journey uh, across the Appalachian Trail. Wow. She is the author and she was she was actually the columnist that was answering some of these questions and it it came out that it was her and she has this just incredible advice and people write in, you know, these awful awful things, but she she talked about how early on in her career she had absolutely no background or anything like that and she took a job of a youth advocate. And it, she worked with these uh, teenage girls that were, you know, young, like 12, 13-ish age that came from like terrible, terrible, terrible backgrounds. And she just kept telling them like, no, it's not going to get better. Like you have to endure. It's not going to get better. But But there's something on the other side. And she sort of, she was so real with them. and And yet she also gave them hope. 
But she didn't sugarcoat it. She didn't say, oh, everything's going to be okay. She said, it's going to be tough and it's going to be hard. And, you know, it might not get better for a really long time, but there is something on the other side and you will get there. And it just, it struck me so hard. I mean, first of all, things like that really move me emotionally because that's the time in any youth's life, I think, where they sort of start to recognize that it's not just about their their home life and that that's the life that they have to have, but they can start to make their own decisions and they can pull them out of these situations. And I think the more that we expose youth to just diverse ways of thinking and showing them that there is something better, I think that there is hope. So, you know, all everything that we talked about bef- before we sort of started recording about there is a little bit of feeling, at least on my part, of hopelessness. It just seems like every single day there's something more awful that's happening. And it's everything from uh, shark attacks <laughs> to, you know, mass shootings to the, the very fabric of our, our country and how everybody is hating on one another. I mean, I, I read something today. I, I saw something on, on Twitter about another shooting somewhere, and it was like at a pool or something. And it said, you know, pool party turned bad. And, and I, I read through it, and, you know, a pool party turned bad. Someone brought a gun, and all of the comments were so terrible, blaming the community of people where this pool party happened for the shooting. And Ugh. it was disgusting, the comments that that people wrote. And I, you know, sometimes I feel like I have my head in the sand because I, I said to myself, who could think these things in this day and age? Mm-hmm. And yet people really do. And there is this, this feeling that of us and, and them. And I don't, I don't know when that happened, if it was always there, just kind of below the surface. And then, you know, somehow there was like permission given to just go ahead and and say what's on your mind, no matter how hurtful and and mean and and absolutely, utterly wrong it is. Well, there's Um, access to that with social media now. So I think maybe it was happening before, but we weren't seeing it. Yeah. You did say something... um, about the diverse ways of thinking with, oh, mm. first of all, I looked up the book. It's Cheryl Strayed, just so that yes. way. Yes, Cheryl Strayed. Yes, that's Strayed. her name. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's the book. But talking about the teens and the hopelessness and one of the things that we focus on and I focus on in my talks and I'm actually traveling to Dallas this week to the Human Rights and Holocaust Museum to give a talk about oh. empowering bystanders. So teaching children, mm. young children, that you can see something happening and there's something you can do to make a difference. And so giving children the hope and that um, authority and that confidence that there are things that they can do to make a difference in the world. And we call that an upstander. So it could be something small, like you could be on the playground and you can see someone being mean to another kid and you can walk over there and grab that kid's hand the one who's being injured and just walk away. Like you don't have to use your hands. You don't have to use your voice. Um, If you're too afraid to go over there, you can get help, but just really teaching children that you can step in and and be a problem solver in some way, help to make a difference. Um, You had mentioned, you know, how she had said to the teens, 
it might not be okay now, but it, you know, there, something's going to change. Uh, we are foster parents. And so we have really learned a lot this year. Um, like you said, your head in the sand. I think my head was, I don't know, in the, <laughs> the, the first layer of the earth because yeah. I've learned so much um, through fostering and bringing children into our home and learning about their situations. But I also love to hear stories. I love reading stories about people who have had rough upbringings and turned it around. So yeah. I think we're always going to have the sad stories, but at the same time, we're going to have some good come out of these things too. So yeah, yeah, it's just, it's a hard time that we're in right now, but you know, what, what can people do about these things? What can, what can we do about the mass shootings? What is it? What's something that you can do in your hometown? And, you know, like I know a friend sent me, there's a petition we can sign and there's, you have to go to a certain location to sign that petition. Is my name on the petition going to change the laws? Probably not, but will it help? Maybe. So, you know, so it's the little things, I think. A lot of little things can add up to something big. I agree. I I love the concept of teaching children how to be an upstander. And I think Mm -hmm. that even, you know, me. Like, I'd, I'd like to learn how to be an upstander because you, you do, you read, you read social media and you, you say, what can I do? And and then there's, you know, donate to this, put your name on this and, and vote, right? So voting is the thing that everybody says to do. But just because you, you vote one way doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to change. So, you know, I love this idea of you know, one small thing that you can do and also like, what can you do in your immediate family, right, to start? Then your neighbors, then your community. It's Yeah, build it's out, absolutely. Build mm-hmm. out. I, I think that that's probably at least digestible because mm-hmm. otherwise it is overwhelming and you do start to go down a thought path of like, well, nothing's going to change with little old me posting something on my LinkedIn. And, and for me to, uh, and I'm, I know we're like totally, you know, <laughs> going off topic. This, this is, is all supposed no, to be is, about women and entrepreneurship. <laughs> no, but, this is where we're at right now in the world. And I think this yeah. is so timely. We have to talk about this. Yeah. And, you know, I, I read, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, just, you know, for professional purposes. And I'd like to just see what people are doing with leadership and, and all of it. And I, I read so many of these posts and everything. And, and I say, we're just either talking to one another and we, and we, we agree, or, you know, it, it creates a dialogue where people disagree. And I see all of this conversation happening. And, and I don't, I haven't participated in it yet because I don't know what else to add. And I also don't know what all of that is even doing. So part of, part of what you're talking about um, reminds me of something they call the bystander effect. So if we were in a room of hundreds of people and someone was being hurt, the bystander effect is the thought that, oh, well, I'm not going to do anything to help because there's so many other people. Somebody's doing something. So in yeah. your case, you're saying, well, why participate in the conversation? What's it doing? There's a lot of people already participating. So if there are less people involved, so let's say you and I are in a room and then someone's being hurt. Well, in that case, we're more apt to help. 
Um, yeah. So there's also that. And so it's also teaching people, okay, even though there's lots of people, you still get to speak up and you still get to make a difference. So what I say yeah. to you is get into that conversation and see where it goes. It yeah. be, be a part of it. And yeah, it's, and you say, what does this have to do with female entrepreneurship? I mean, the fact of the matter is we've come a long way as females and we don't want to see that go backwards. And no. we just want to keep doing what we can do and standing up for each other so that we can keep seeing forward movement. And, and one way that I see this happening is focusing on our youth because yeah. they're growing up. And yeah. for example, teenagers right now, I think teenagers are amazing. If you talk to teenagers and the way that they accept people for who they are, whether they're, you know, he, she, they, them. I mean, people are so accepting and loving as teenagers right now. And I know it wasn't like that when I was a teenager, you know, if somebody was different, they were different and people would tease them. And so I don't know. I, I think that focusing on the youth is pretty powerful. So from where I come from, that's kind of the focus. And I love that. I, I, I'm, a hundred percent with you with focusing on the youth. And when you do speak to teenagers and, and young people, they they seem to have observed what didn't work and they're not putting up with the the rules as we've created them. Mm-hmm. And I I admire so much, you know, young people that don't put up with certain things that we just took for granted. The the whole idea of like, put your head down, work hard, you will get noticed. <laughs> that oh doesn't goodness. that d- doesn't happen, and it it didn't happen. But we we were told that it was going to happen. So even when it didn't happen, we kept at it. Because we said, well, one day, you know, we're, yeah. we're going to get recognized. Um, and so I admire so much that, that you say, you know, no, th- we're not going to, to do this. We're not going to kill ourselves for work. You know, we are going to have lives and we're going to incorporate work into our lives so that we can live. Um, and that, oh, oh, that is, they're so great. <laughs> they are. And, you know, because it's sugarcoated, this like the whole concept, I should say for listeners, because, you know, you'd made the comment like, oh, but this is about entrepreneurship. But I do want to uh, take note that I'm coming out of the hardest six months I've ever had in the work that I've done in my entire mm. life. And the reason why is two reasons. Number one, I bought another business. I bought another publishing company. We just closed last week. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) A lot of fear around that. Oh my goodness. So much fear and spending the money and taking that leap of faith to scale the business, um, knowing that, you know, I got to keep my values at the forefront of who I am. And then the other reason is I made a decision for my business and it didn't go well. And I lost a lot of money and Mm -hmm. I had to change the decision I made. And, you know, I actually hired someone else to help me make that decision. And I'm owning up to the fact that I, at the end of the day, I'm the business owner, I made the decision and it cost me a lot of money and it's been a lot to work through. So I just want to put this out there to those listeners that I'm with you in the whole sugar-coated things are not always rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. And I try to put that out there on social media, but I don't know if people take, people really get it, you know, like. Yeah. I don't know. So I think I think social media is tough too because I I do think that sh- social media tends to be that 
you know, glazy, shiny platform where people want to look good. Like you can mm-hmm. actually, even if you look like you, even if you literally look like crap, you can look like a movie star. So there, right? So it's like this false platform. At the same time, there are people on on social media that are being very real. And I think that what happens is almost the bystander effect that you talked about. People don't want to say, hey, Maria, I... I, I've been through the same thing because they don't want others coming down on them because this is the platform where you're supposed to look shiny. And so mm. if you say, I had that problem too. But I, I think almost your advice to me is my advice to you. Keep sharing that because yeah. that's the stuff that's inspiring people behind Ugh. the scenes, right? Yeah. And I I do that often too. You know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, the struggles that I've had and you know, entrepreneurship has has kicked my ass. I I, I say that um, it's been the, it's been the hardest thing that I've ever done. I I had a successful corporate career. I rose through the ranks and everything, but I wasn't happy, and I felt like I was compromising so much of who I was. And entrepreneurship has not been easy at all. There's there's not a formula. And I think that it's especially difficult for women. And I do think that we make mistakes that end up costing us a lot of money, costing us a lot of time, costing us our mental health. And then, you know, instead of us separating ourselves from the fact that, hey, this was business, this was a bad business decision that didn't go right we internalize it and personalize oh it. Oh my ego. God. And the so, ego right? gets us. The mm-hmm. ego gets us. And, and we say, we suck. We suck. We're stupid. How could we have been so dumb? And then that whole thinking that is, is not our own puts us into this spiral that doesn't allow us to say, well, you know, l- let me just figure out what do I do next in order to, you know, go on. We get caught in the, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anyway. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. And and that's where we really do need support from others that have been in business. And one of the things that I try to think about all the time is they say, and maybe this will make you feel better, but they say that you can't have success unless you have these failures. Mm. So once you, once you have that failure, like, oh my God, you're on the right track. There's so many songs that come to my head when you say that, like from the (laughs) Trolls movie, if you knock, knock me over, I will get back up again. And I just, it's so true. And, you know, I went for a bike ride this weekend. Biking is, uh, I just love to be out in the outdoors and I have this 10 mile bike ride that I just worship because I can see snails and turtles and birds. And I have not been on my bike at all this year. And it hit me this weekend. I said, I, I let all of this drama from work, I let, I, I let my biking go. I let it take over something that was so good and happy for me. So I'm back on the bike and, um, yeah, but it's just something like that. You know, you, you, you let it take something away from you that was bringing you joy and, I mean, the right. bike ride you is like 45 it. minutes. Yeah, it's not like it takes that much time, but it brings yeah. me so much happiness. And yeah. so it's been a rough go. It has been a rough go. And I'm hoping to see some some good the, the next half of the year. And I, I'm part of a mastermind, which has been really helpful over the last six months, being 
with other like-minded business owners and being able to share these things with them. So that has been helpful for me because people have been honest and sharing their own stories. But um, I think right. finding your, your people and like this podcast, finding your people who can speak truth and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we we again, it's that whole concept of like you know the the boss babe and and the super successful entrepreneur, and it's all just up 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 up. And then you know if they did have any type of a, a downturn or a failure, you don't see that as it's happening. You only see how they've come out on the other side, you know, better than ever. And I think that that is a real uh, negative narrative because it makes us feel like we we need to be perfect and always marching toward that idea of success at all times. Otherwise, we are a failure. And oh. I, I, I'm so happy that you sort of got back on the bike, which is such a great metaphor, right? It oh is. My God, I got such back a great on metaphor. the bike, right? <laughs> yeah, I love that. And you know what's so funny? Like, as you were talking, and it's probably why you're such a great writer, um, as you were talking, I I literally had a picture in my mind of you sort of winding through and, you know, I don't, I don't know where this is or, or what it is, but sort of winding through a path with grasses and all of the nature all around and everything. And I thought to myself, what a beautiful book. What a beautiful book. Right. Maria gets back on her bike. Yeah, I get <laughs> right? back on the bike. Oh, and then you see, you see all the nature and, and, and all the things that are, are actually real right? The turtles don't worry about how far they're going or what they're doing. They're, they're very much in the moment. And I think that that's probably why you love that bike ride so much is because you realize that you're in the moment and you're, yeah. you're valuable just as you are, right? Yeah. I have, I have a snail. The snails are my motto. They're like my mascot um, for the last few years because it reminds me to slow down. Yeah, but they get where they're going. So they take their time, but they always get where they're going. Because I've sat and I've watched them before and they're so stinking slow and they always want to cross the path and they get across (laughs) the path. It just takes them a lot of time. So it just reminds me to slow down and keep my values, what's important to me at the forefront of what I do. For example, the biking, the bringing me joy, the being in nature and um, not letting the drama of work and the hardship of the world take all of that away from you. So being able yeah. to have both. Yeah. I uh, That's such a great, powerful message too. I think like with everything that's going on in the world, we don't have to succumb to like just falling into that deep hole. We can still hold both, right? Mm-hmm. Hold joy while at the same time being scared and uh, sad and enraged at everything that's going on. But if we we almost don't balance it out with the things that bring us joy, we're not going to be, we're not going to be good for anybody. We're going to no. just be single-minded and yeah. that's not good. And, you know, the other thing is it's, it's funny, you're telling me the story about how, you know, the, the business is, you know, you, you've struggled and, and all of that. And at the same time, you made a huge, bold move by purchasing another business. That's freaking incredible. Thank you. Thank you. That That's, was scary. Yeah. And oh, when, when those papers were signed, I was like, ah, <laughs> we did it. So amazing. We it's so it, amazing. So. And, you know, oftentimes we don't hear about that part of 
entrepreneurship with women. It's often, you know, I started something or I joined this and then I I became president and I took over. But we don't hear a lot of stories about I specifically went out and purchased a business and emerged it with my existing company and all of the things that go with that. So that's something that I'm super interested in almost sharing a, a little bit, if you don't mind, how you went about even making the decision to purchase a business and how that is additive to your business. And then what are some of the you know, the criteria and then what are some of the, the things that have, have been obstacles? And then what has like worked when it comes to buying a business? Yeah, well, I it was not on my radar. My speaking career kind of went down the drain when COVID happened. Um, 60% of my income was coming from speaking. I spoke in schools, schools were closed, they weren't inviting people in. And so I just kind of focused on sales for the books. So trying to figure out how we could increase sales. And then I had a um, business colleague who reached out to me, just a question about some Amazon advertising. And she was sharing with me that she was looking to retire and she was really tired. And she she built this legacy. Her her business is three times as big as Cardinal Rule Press and that she is just nervous because she wants to retire, blah, blah, blah. So then I left that conversation, went on a walk with my husband and the dogs. And he said, well, why don't you buy the business? And I was like, well, because I don't have that kind of money. And he's like, it's like buying a house. You don't have to give all the money. You know, just this is my business mindset. I'm like, I don't have that kind of money. So I brought it up to her and she's like, you would be the perfect fit. And when we had that conversation... I wasn't saying this to even, you know, she's like, but you are the perfect customer um, because both of our brands are aligned in similar values and morals and visions. Um, So we started negotiations and um, really I started with my attorney and learning about EBITDA and, you know, looking at the last five years of her sales to try to figure out what would the purchase price of the business be. And then we went into like a due diligence. So really digging deeper into her books, which I am not a finance person. So um, I have a couple team members who helped me with that. Um, they're more analytic. Um, I also had our CPA help a little bit on that. And then we made a deal with the attorney and we signed a letter of intent. And I put a down payment down and the woman was amazing. And she was just so lovely to work with. She made it so easy. Wow. We split all of the attorney fees. Um, and the way the book business works, you can't necessarily sign on the day you put the deposit down. You need six months to change over all the vendors. So, you know, if the book is at Barnes and Nobles and all of her books are in her company name, it takes about six months to change everything over. So that's what we've been doing the last six months. And then my big mistake in business was happening at the same time. So it was very separate of this purchase. They were very separate of each other. So I had this really great thing happening and I had this really bad thing happening. Hmm. But we just closed on the papers last week. And yeah, she handed me a lot of these boxes of papers. And I was like, oh, geez, this is not my kind of thing. I hired my nieces to like input all the data. So it's all digital. I'm like, I'm not going to have all these boxes of papers sitting at my house. So um, now we're just kind of doing that. And my team has been working for the last six months on the acquisition so we did, you know, the press releases and everything went out last week. It, we made the announcement on Friday. Um, so it's been, yeah, it's been really great. And I went to the closing by myself and I was driving home and I just really wanted to celebrate. But we had two foster girls coming back to the house from their biological parents' house. And 
I knew I, I couldn't really celebrate because I had all, I had five kids at home. So, um, I went to Starbucks and got myself a cake pop. And I ate a cake pop and I was like, congratulations, you just bought a business. Here's a $2 cake pop. And that was my celebration. I love that. Well, I mean, I feel so honored that you shared that story with us. And I hope that everybody that's listening can, you know, send you congratulation messages. And hopefully that hopefully that'll, you know, help you celebrate a little bit. But that is just, (laughs) oh, my God, that is such an inspiring story. And I think one of the things that it really speaks to is, is also, you know, being super genuine, being open, being able to be in conversation and sharing like with your husband, right? I I love that, that because sometimes as women entrepreneurs, we think that we have to do it alone, right? We have to share it with our other tribe of women in our masterminds and that there aren't other people in our lives. But, you, you know, your husband has a different perspective. He sees things from a different point of view. And his yes. his very simple, well, why don't you buy it? Because that is something that he would do. And that's what his friends would do. And I think that if the, the fact that you said to yourself, yeah, you know, I can do this. I might not know how, but I'm going to figure this out. And I have a team of people. I'm getting emotional. Look no, at me. But I'm it's like... true. It's, it's true. And it's so inspiring. And I I think we all need to kind of listen up to that because that is magic. And I think that that's an outside force, like your your husband being right there at the right time, saying something that was like very casual and obvious that led to something so casual, so obvious, but like the joy that I just saw in, in you describing what happened is everything. And so that's going to be a very positive force. And then whatever other negative thing is happening, you know, that was supposed to happen too for a reason. But this thing clearly is the shining light. And that's where you need to to focus. And I love that. And for the listeners, just remember the importance of networking and being in community in your industry. I mean, this woman reached out and asked if I had time to explain something to her. And I was like, oh yeah, of course. Being in communication with people in your community, you know, that was a very serendipitous moment. And yeah, yeah. it was perfect timing. So so many lessons. And one <laughs> of the other thing, we'll, we'll end on this too, because so I think that women sometimes, and it's because of the way that we're conditioned, I'm not blaming us at all, but we think that, well, I'm not going to share my thought with her because she's going to take something from me. And we have been taught that there's limited whatever at at the top or, you know, or there's, you know, if you win, I lose instead of like we we both can win together. And I think that more women have to even even if we get hurt, we have to keep talking to one another and being genuine and not hiding ourselves. It's the only way that we're going to get to a place where we can start collaborating and doing strategic partnerships and growing bigger than we would on our own. So yes, 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 yes. So Maria, oh my gosh, thank you so much for this incredible conversation that 
definitely touched on entrepreneurship and touched on everything that's going on in the world. Um, and just for sharing your story and for doing the work that you're doing, I can't wait to see sort of what's coming next for you. And I, I would love to invite you back on the show at some point too, to sort of, you know, follow yeah. that journey. See how it's so, going. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And see how um, your bike rides are going. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This was absolutely wonderful. And if you if you can please share with the sugar coated audience where they can you know follow you sign up for your newsletter and just kind of see what you're doing in general. Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram under Maria Desmondi Books, and that's kind of my personal one. Um, Cardinal Rule Press is our brand, so if you want to follow what the brand's doing, all the announcements are over there, and you can go to our website. And I have to tell everybody, my email is Maria at CardinalRulePress.com, and I read and answer all my emails. So that's kind of my thing. Like I like to get to inbox zero at least once a week. So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Well, thank you so much. You're going to be inundated with emails, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate this and uh, we'll put everything in the show notes so it's easy for people to find you. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. The She Leads Podcast Network.